welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shabat, to discuss the fourth quarter update from Delta, JetBlue, and Southwest, and the state of negotiations between airlines and flight attendants in the U.S. Enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this week? I'm great, Ned. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Counting down the days for my holiday travel. I finally have all of my tickets booked and (laughs) am looking forward to some full flights. Awesome. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll be full. uh, Yeah, it seems like that based on what uh, some of the U.S. airlines have been saying, that's for sure. That's right. So as we went into the fourth quarter in, in October, there's been some concern about Weaker off-peak demand, especially through the end of the year as we go into the winter, uh, mostly because corporate travel is not back where it was. Um, but we've had some updates from Delta, JetBlue, and Southwest that are are saying that you know some of those concerns might have um, been overblown. Yeah, and I think from uh, from what we've heard from all three, it's uh, pretty clear that the uh, Thanksgiving holiday period was excellent in terms of demand very busy, the yields were good, uh, and every indication uh, is that the the that continues into the uh, current holiday period and, uh, you know, into 2024. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, there you have it from a demand perspective, uh, still, still a very rosy scenario. Which is great for the airlines. I mean, especially JetBlue jumped out at me because they they were one that, that was forecasting some significant slowdown in off-peak periods. But, um, you know, Delta and, and its peers, American United at all, pretty much forecast strong demand, if if not as robust. What I'd love to see is a Spirit and a Frontier update, but I don't know if we're going to be getting that for the holidays. Right, right. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if demand even for those two airlines are, are okay. I, I know they've had uh, some issues with uh, perhaps excess supply in certain markets. Now, I think it's important to step back a minute and to note that uh, we are just talking about demand here. There are things going on in the cost side that uh, we'll talk about a little bit later in this podcast. Um, it's also uh, very important to to point out that JetBlue does still expect a loss for the fourth quarter, which is uh, yes. definitely not welcome. So, you know, just being very specific here, they said that, quote, demand for travel remains healthy. Since late October, close-in bookings have outperformed expectations. So those close-in bookings are typically business travelers or higher-paying passengers. Right. Um, and they said that was true for both the holiday peak and non-holiday travel periods. So you can see uh, something is happening <laughs> on the cost side because they uh, they seem to say uh, over on the revenue and demand side, things are good. So what exactly is happening on the cost side? We'll, we'll get to some labor stuff in a minute. Um, interestingly enough, I mean, fuel prices have been going down quite a bit over the past few weeks, which you think would be a very good thing. It is a very good thing for airlines. For most airlines, yes. Yeah, for most airlines, unless unless you are heavily hedged, which in the case of Southwest actually has their uh, fuel forecast um, actually increased. So they're, uh, they're now expecting to pay more for fuel. Than they were when they uh, previously gave a fourth quarter estimate, which I guess was a few weeks ago. So I, I like now, to say when hedges give and hedges take, you know, it's uh, it's yes, a two way street it on that. <laughs> Giveth and taketh, that's for <laughs> right. sure. 
Right. And Southwest certainly, you know, over the very long term has a very, you know, has an excellent record uh, in terms of coming out ahead on hedges, but doesn't seem to be working in their favor right now. Uh, so we should see some of the other airlines benefit from from the hedges. Uh, JetBlue, and I don't know off the top of my head, I don't, I know they did not have hedges. I don't know. Maybe they put some on more recently. Um, their fuel guidance, I'm looking for it in front of me. Yeah, it's uh, pretty much unchanged. A, a slight uh, decrease to what they expect to pay. So they previously said they were going to pay 305 to 320. Now the estimate range is 305 to 315, so a little bit down on the on the you know on that uh, the worst case scenario end. Um, but uh, yeah, not not too much change there, and uh, some of that is is regional too. You know, certain regions of the country will pay higher than others. I know right. uh, the West Coast was very high uh, in the third quarter. Alaska talked a lot about that. So um, there's there's a lot of variance when you're talking about fuel prices, but. Um, yeah, the, the spot prices are going down. So they should, uh, if that, that trend continues, that should be a good thing. That's a good thing. So one of the things that that you, you know, we've been talking about demand and, and planes being full that just came up is is Southwest and their capacity. Now we've we've talked about in the past how you know all of the U.S. airlines are going to be our slowing capacity growth into the new year, especially to to get some you know stronger, some more control over the price picture. Maybe that'll slow down. Uh, the those cuts will slow a little bit as we see strong demand. But Southwest and I looked at their update; they are growing in the twenty percent range in the fourth quarter. Now, I I know that a lot of that is simply annualizing growth that they already did, and not necessarily new flights in the fourth quarter. But that is still an astronomical number, and to think they've got to get in the they're long-term outlook is to get in the low to mid single digits. So they have a lot of growth pullback coming. And, you know, I, I want to, I, I can't speak for Southwest network team, but it definitely feels like we're going to be seeing a lot less new routes and new markets from them <clears throat> next year right. as, as they're, you know, pull back and just try to let everything that they've added sort of mature. Yes. And, and you'll have to correct me if memory doesn't serve here, but I believe in the fourth quarter of 2022 is when they had their big uh, operational meltdown and they kind of lost a lot of ASMs from that. So oh, I forgot sl- about that. Yes. Thank you, yeah. Jay. The, that special item that adds a couple points to their guidance that, yes, you're right. right. I, I don't I don't know how much. I mean, I don't know if you kind of, you know, remove that as a factor, what, what their increase was. Um, there, there definitely is uh, the situation where Southwest has had trouble uh, re, sort of trouble restoring the capacity that it cut during the pandemic as as quickly as it would have liked. It's had Boeing aircraft delivery delays. Um, the Max Seven, which is very important to their future network and network plans, um, that has yet to be certified by the FAA. Yep. You had pilot training issues with you know pilot captain shortages and things like that. So there's a lot of catch up still being played. And then all the while, at the same time, what's going on Southwest is they're really uh, and and the CEO uh, Rob uh, Bob Jordan talked about this at the at the Skift Aviation Forum, um, whenever it was in, back in October. Uh, the the whole idea is that they're trying to update their network to reflect changes in demand that have occurred since the pandemic, and you know one big one being that the short haul. Uh, 
you know, the short, I'll think of like intra-California routes that typically had a lot yep. of, uh, you know, business traffic on it. A lot of that business traffic is not there, hasn't come back. So they're, you know, kind of migrating planes to more leisure oriented markets and whatnot. They've opened a lot of new markets even during the pandemic. So a lot, lot going on in their network. Now they did say that over the long term, kind of beyond 2024, they plan on slower growth than they were originally planning. Um, and uh, they, you know, just, I think that was partially just a, acting out of caution. You know, we want to make sure we hit certain financial goals and it's kind of easier to hit them if we restrain capacity than if we grow, you know, it's better to grow sometimes too, too slowly than too quickly. So oh, absolutely. Sort of, I mean, it's the number one lever that airlines have to control yeah. pricing is to slow growth or shrink. Uh, and of course, I mean, we're still looking at costs that are well above 2019 levels. So uh, complete shrinking is not on the table, but slowing growth very much is. Right, right. And uh, the um, we'll also have to see, uh, as I mentioned before, they are not, they're actually getting hurt by their hedges right now. Um, so fuel is sort of a bad guy on, on their income statement or will be this quarter. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to I, if I had to guess, they'll they'll make money this quarter, um, unlike JetBlue. But uh, but how you know what would our margins be? I don't know. I mean, their margins have been kind of kind of weak recently. Yeah. So they um, they kind of had a lot to prove uh, going forward, going into twenty twenty four. I would say. Yeah. No. Definitely. Southwest is it's not the um, strong profit maker that it once was. I have to say it's losing money, but like you said, it's just it's not the high margin, reliable business that it, it was for many decades. Right, right. It's, it's sort of, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I, I can, I have here in front of me in the fourth quarter of last year, that was the, you know, the year of the, the, the huge operational blow up. Um, they, they lost $226 million, um, negative 6% operating margin. And then in the first quarter, they lost money again, negative 5% margin. So they really, really had a rough six months, a rough, rough winter. Um, and a lot of that, to be fair, was the operational stuff. And, you know, you could sort of put that out. That seems to be, you know, like they, they seem to have addressed that. Operations have been pretty smooth, really, for all the airlines, from what I understand. I don't know if you've heard anything otherwise, Ned, but I think operationally airlines had a really good Thanksgiving and yeah. things have been pretty smooth since. Things were good, you know, a good Thanksgiving, pretty smooth since. Uh, I have to say, you know, I don't think we've had any major weather patterns across the U.S. in the last few weeks. I mean, there's been weather, I'm not saying there's not the well, weather, yeah. but it's mm -hmm. no big storms. Knock on wood, hopefully it stays that way. I, I will be taking my kids out to Colorado. So watching Denver weather, which remember the storm that, that disrupted Southwest hit uh, Denver and Chicago and everything all, all at the same time last Christmas. So hoping yeah, that, that we don't have a repeat of that. That was kind of the origin of the debacle, wasn't it? Denver was where it all started. Yes, yes. So, but um, <laughs> you're going yeah, into they, the eye of the storm, Ned. Be careful. <laughs> yeah, watch this Christmas be 50s and sunny the whole time, as, as Denver <laughs> can be in the middle of winter. But yeah, the operations have been reliable, and that's one reason why capacity is up. JetBlue acknowledged that in their update that their capacity is going to come in at the high end of their their guidance range because they they've they've operated better than they expected in the fourth quarter so far. Yeah, right. No, that's a good point. I, I'm glad you pointed that out. It's uh, the when you operate better than you expect, you know, when you plan your capacity and you tell Wall Street, hey, we're going to produce this many ASMs this quarter, uh, you 
you know, what an airline will do is it will factor in, okay, we'll probably cancel, you know, X percent of our ASMs because of weather or this or that. Or, uh, and then if you actually do better than that, if, if you, uh, you know, if, if you don't cancel as much and you, you fly more, then you wind up, uh, you know, with more ASMs. Um, and that has implications for, you know, your unit revenues, your unit costs and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, you keep that in mind. So JetBlue, as, as you mentioned, Ned, you know, they came out and they said, hey, we're going to actually do, I'm looking at it here, for the fourth quarter, our year-over-year ASMs is going to be up 2 to 3%. Uh, they previously said it was only going to be up about 1% to 3.5%. Um, so, uh, well, it was kind of a bigger range. But in any case, 2 to 3%. So they, uh, you know, I think I think some of that capacity uh, was uh, that they're, that they're going to fly. They may have, you know, expected <laughs> to have canceled. Now, of course, you know, December's not done. So, yeah, you know, yeah we, we like I know. said, it's, uh, yeah, December's not <laughs> We don't know what's going to happen in, uh, <laughs> yeah, JFK this. Uh, we this, might be uh, having a live year-end <laughs> podcast from a plane stuck on the tarmac. No, let's hope that doesn't oh, happen. Please no. <laughs> Gosh, please no. But, um, yeah. Well, with that, we're looking at strong holidays. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to talk about labor. And we're back, Jay. So I did a, a fairly lengthy story looking at the situation U.S. airlines face with their flight attendance unions. Now, this is a prominent issue. We've got most major flight attendants in negotiations right now, most major airlines in negotiations with their flight attendants. American, Southwest, United, Alaska, Spirit are all in talks. And to be honest, they're not going well. Southwest flight attendants overwhelmingly rejected a new tentative agreement that had 36% pay raises over five years um, this past uh, a week ago. And American Airlines flight attendants are seeking release from mediation to enter the 30-day cooling off period before a potential strike. So it's uh, tensions are rife. You have two things going on. You have tensions. Uh, tensions are rife, as you said, at the same time. Uh, every time there is a deal that uh, is a new contract is signed, it's, it's a very expensive one. There's a, a lot of uh, inflation um, that that airlines are, are having to stomach. And that is, uh, I think we're already seeing that take a toll on earnings. Now, the fear is, is you know, are, are we entering another one of these cycles? We saw this, you know, after, uh, you know, in the early 2000s, for example, where- uh, pre Pre-9-11, yep. right? Yep. Yep. Right. You had contracts signed this right, right before 9-11. Exactly. Because the, the if you remember, that I means it's going way back, but the, but the late 90s was just a very, very lucrative time, you know, but relatively speaking for, for U.S. airlines. And so, uh, you know, labor unions, uh, you know, justifiably wanted hefty pay raises. They got them. But then when demand started to turn post 9-11, it started to get real hairy and a lot of these airlines wound up in bankruptcy. I'm not saying anything like that extreme is, 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 you know, anything to worry about, but we could be entering in one of these cycles where, you know, you do have uh, labor costs that are kind of getting a little bit uncomfortable, let's say. Um, now airlines would argue, no, 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 this is, we're in a totally different world. Now it's a much more consolidated marketplace than it was, you know, post nine. There's, there's all sorts of argument, you know, now we've got all these ancillary revenues and we're, you know, it's, it's, we, we just, we better, Better, better revenue management systems and, you know, on and on and on. Um, but it's, you know, labor is, can be 30, 40% of an airline's cost if it's, if you've got inflation 
uh, you know, that's very heavy. It's that it adds definitely adds a layer of significant risk. Now, nobody well, yeah. knows what's going to happen with fuel prices. So, you know, it's right, going to happen right. with revenues. And so it's hard to predict. But, uh, you know, those labor costs are very sticky. You can't can't get rid of them as quickly as you can some other costs. Absolutely. So so uh, um, Melius Research Analyst Connor Cunningham did did analysis and, and assuming a 20 percent pay increase across all U.S. carriers for flight attendants, that would cost the industry about one point nine billion annually. And that'd be a point of a point of Casamex at each carrier, give or take a, a few, you know, a decimal or two. So it's it's not an insignificant thing. Now, I spoke to a number of the flight attendant unions and the the sentiment is is they are quote, uh, furious, as Sarah Nelson, the head of the Association of Flight Attendants, said, you know, and the things that she cited are, you know, flight attendants were really on the front lines during the pandemic. They were the ones dealing with unruly travelers. You know, they've seen um, executive compensation rise after after uh, CARES Act restrictions fell. They've seen pilots get these historic raises. And like you said, inflation, you know, I looked at what the Minneapolis Fed's um, Price consumer price indexes and prices are eighteen percent higher today than they were in twenty nineteen. Now, looking at American, they have not received a raise since January twenty nineteen. Their flight attendants, so they've effectively seen their pay go down by eighteen percent. So, if you give every flight attendant a twenty percent raise, effectively, that's only two percent compared to twenty nineteen. So, there's there's a lot of arguments like for a thirty six percent raise, which Southwest flight attendants were going to get if they hadn't rejected the contract is really only 18% once you account for inflation. And then you think, oh, that's over five years. So, I mean, annual inflation rate of 3% per year. I mean, really, they're coming out just a little ahead. Yeah, that, that's a that's a very important point. I know we were chatting about this yesterday, Ned. Uh, oh, and by the way, we didn't say when we're talking. It's Wednesday. Oh, yeah. yeah, Wednesday, or maybe you did. But <laughs> anyway, it can't hurt to say again. Wednesday, December 13th uh, in the afternoon here. So uh, East Coast, New York time. So uh, yes, um, you make a good point about how these, uh, sometimes the headline figure, you know, 40% wage or whatever, wage increase, it sounds like, whoa, you know, I want, I want a 40% wage increase. But but yeah, you do have to consider that uh, that's often over multiple years. And uh, there have been multiple previous years where uh, they've gone without a raise. So yeah, that's, you do, you do have to look at that carefully. It's a very good point. Um, so yeah, and and a lot of these, frankly, um, a lot of these contracts uh, are not just about wages. Um, they're also about work roles, which you know you hear from labor negotiation negotiators. They increasingly say that that's almost become more important, like some of the work role issues and um, you know vacation time things. Like there's just a lot. You know these these labor these collective bargaining agreements are very complex, and that's why they sometimes take years to negotiate. Um, so that's uh, you know just definitely something to to, to consider. Um, the you know you mentioned uh, what was the adjective that Sarah Nelson used? We're furious. Uh, was furious. The word. furious. Yes. Yes. I, I think the Southwest pilots would wouldn't mind uh, using that adjective either. I think they they probably share that sentiment. There's been a lot of uh, frustration there. The Southwest pilots want want a contract. Um, do we have uh, so we have Del- yeah. Delta has their contract done? No, Delta. So if we're talking about flight attendants, Delta flight attendants are well, how, about, how about the pilots? Now? The how pilots. About... We have most pilot groups are done. Southwest, I think, is the only major. Is the only big one left? Okay. Yeah. Or the big airlines. Yeah. It's the flight attendants contracts that are really, really contentious right now. And um, 
you know, I asked Sarah Nelson if if we could potentially see a strike in the U.S., which we haven't in more than a decade. And, you know, she didn't say a strike, but she said she doesn't see a way that flight attendant contracts are done without a credible strike threat was the word she used. Now, like I said, American Airlines flight attendants have already asked to be released from um, released from negotiations and that would enter begin a 30 day cooling off period to a strike. And that could, you know, it's potential we could see the first major in labor action at a U.S. airline since 2010. Though, asterisk, it probably would be a chaos or create havoc around our system strike. So, and for those who aren't familiar, that means the airline continues operating. Flight attendants say we will, we can hit any flight at any time. So you could board your flight, say from DFW to LAX and the crew gets up and walks off and that's, that flight is on strike. So it's, um, it. Yeah, we could see it's that, a, though. <laughs> it's, the United it's, Auto Workers used something similar to that this summer, they or whenever it was this fall, they uh, where they were striking. Was It wasn't a, a total strike. It was, uh, we're going to hit this plant, we're going to hit this plant, and this plant over here, and this plant. So, yeah, you know, these strikes can take different forms. It may not just be a total shutdown, uh, but we don't know. And for those- Yeah, we don't um, know. Yes, exactly. You know, yeah, you don't really know what the what the what the strategy is by the union, but um, I think we should just uh, quickly explain for if if anyone's listening who's new to the industry or or doesn't not familiar with 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 the uh, the rules that kind of govern labor relations in the airline industry, uh, it's very difficult to strike. It's not it's not something. It's, it's a lengthy process, as Ned mentioned. Um, there are negotiations that happen. At some point, if uh, you know one side is is just completely frustrated, say we're making no progress. They have to appeal to the National Mediation Board and ask for a to be released from negotiations. And at that point, you get that 30-day cooling off period that Ned mentioned. And then there's all sorts of steps beyond that before an strike can actually happen. Um, the president can step in. They can create a, an emergency board. Congress can ultimately step in, which we saw uh, actually in the railroad industry last winter. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's nothing that's going to happen imminently. No, uh, this is not, not a concern for anyone's holiday travel. Let's right, put exactly. that out I'm there now. To say, we don't want to scare anybody here, <laughs> but perhaps, uh, you know, may, maybe by the spring, um, you yeah. never know. It's, uh, yeah. um, but, but and I'm, I'm going to drop this in the podcast notes. Planet Money did a great podcast on the chaos strike uh, strategy and it was pioneered at Alaska Airlines in the 90s. Yeah, I heard that actually. And um, I'll drop it in the uh, in the podcast notes, but I, I recommend everyone give it a listen and how you know Alaska Airlines flight attendants won pay increases by, and I think they only canceled like six or eight flights in the entire strike, but yeah, it's, uh, it works. Yeah, that was, a, that was a good discussion. Uh, when was the last major airline strike net i'm thinking the spirit pilots but there was there they're not missing one that was that was no a long so time spirit ago. pilots was the last one in 2010 but remember 2000. spirit was a fraction of the size they are today back yeah. in 2010 the last major airline to go on strike were mechanics at northwest in 2005 mm. 2005 and, which was during yes. during bankruptcy right before probably right before mm, bankruptcy i think it might be right before I, they went i wrote a book bankruptcy. about this net i should probably remember but. <laughs> i am not <laughs> sure but so it's been nearly 20 years since a major airline was affected by a strike and and even then the mechanic strike didn't shut down northwest it only you know they were canceling i want to say a quarter of their flights but um it's yeah uh, so you, you yeah. can see that they're, they're pretty rare and there's yeah. airline strikes are rare 
Unlike in Europe, where strikes seem to be happening every yes. month with someone. Thank you for clarifying, because we are just talking about the U.S. here. This, uh, <laughs> you go to Europe or elsewhere in the world, and completely different set of rules. And yeah, strikes are very, very common in uh, in Europe. They tend to be, you know, brief and, uh, you know, not not quite as damaging. Um, but uh, yeah, completely completely different uh, different story in other in other jurisdictions. We're just talking about the U.S. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Anyway, we will see what happens. You know, there are more talks to come. And and the general consensus I got from everyone I spoke to about flight attendants is once a contract is ratified, we are likely to see that contract essentially repeated across several airlines. It's just getting to that first first deal that's across that, you know, it makes it across the line. So that's kind of a template for others yes, to, to get yes. right, right. And that's what the co- cost will reset to that level. Uh, most of the major airlines, that's, I mean, that's going to be it. But with yeah. Southwest rejecting, it's, uh, you know, it's anyone's question where, when, who, who gets across that line first. And I asked Sarah Nelson if she would make a guess and she politely declined. So <laughs> you can see it does make it difficult for union negotiators because, you know, they're trying to, they're not ultimately when they agree to a tentative deal, they're sort of assuming that their members will be happy with it. But as we saw with the Southwest flight attendants, the members were not happy with it. So they voted it down. So the, you know, it's, I think it's, it's, it's a difficult for the union leaders who are actually doing the negotiation. It's sometimes difficult to know exactly what the members will and won't, you know, won't accept. Uh, and we'll see, you know, if they go back now, I mean, they'll, they'll they're going to have, they're going to, going to renegotiate now and see if they can, come up with something that's more acceptable to the members and we'll see if they can do it. But um, I, I yeah, have two it's, words it's for you, tricky. two words for you, Jay, boarding pay. That seems to be whatever flight in at once right now. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And that was not in the Southwest agreement. So I don't know. And I don't know if that was the, the reason that it was rejected, but everyone I spoke to says that's uh, there's a lot of pressure from the flight attendant side for, for boarding pay. So we shall see. Yeah, very, okay, interesting. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it. All right, Nick. Jay, always a pleasure. And uh, listeners, if you want to contact me, you can reach me at er at skift.com. You can reach Jay at js at skift.com. Jay? Okay, Ned, thanks. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.